This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Kent Smetters. Hello and welcome back. Ken Smithers here, a professor at the Wharton School, and you're listening to your Money Business Radio Series XM 132 for the rest of the show. A financial planner with me taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know how to invest your money, save for retirement, kids, college, paying down debts, really anything to do with your money. If you got a question, give us a call right now, live on Tuesday. So give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. With me in this segment, Pat Cote, who's been on the show many times, and he uh, is in the Boston area where he launched Asset Grade in two thousand thirteen. Before that, held some executive roles at Fidelity and many other companies. Uh, he has his MBA from the Wharton School here, and he was on campus doing law. Uh, uh, different teaching, different groups uh, here uh, uh, today. Welcome back to the show, Pat. Thanks, Kent. Great to be back. And if you have a, Pat, a question for Pat myself, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Like all other advisors on the show, Pat is fee only. But Pat, give me a little bit more uh, info about your firm. If you have a typical client, what's he or she like? Sure. So we focus on Henry's, the high earners, not rich yet. So for most of them, that means that they are still working. They are often in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And for, for many of them, taxes play a big role in their considerations for investing. So we often end up doing things like asset location to help them think through how to invest, how to save more on a regular basis and do that without being hit or at least to try to minimize the tax tax it if possible. Yeah. And, and so talk a little bit about the, you know, the asset location strategy comes up a, a bit on this show. Um, you know, I, typically it's, you know, we, we say put your income generating assets in your tax deferred accounts, your income generating assets in, uh, in your yeah, tax deferred accounts, and then your things like stocks in your, you know, uh, 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 taxable accounts. Explain the logic behind that. So once once the clients start to build up a certain level of assets, and it's typically you know into the six figures, and they might have assets in tax deferred vehicles. So most of them will have a four hundred one k, and then they'll also start to build up more in taxable brokerage accounts. So the taxable accounts there, and the tax considerations are different for each. So in the taxable accounts, they're getting taxed on everything that they earn in that account. So whether it's capital gains, interest, dividend, so on. And so we want to be thoughtful because capital gains are deferred until they're realized. We want to be thoughtful about trying to put in investments in the brokerage accounts, so those taxable accounts that are better from a tax perspective. And then in the tax-deferred accounts like uh, 401ks or IRAs, we put those other investments that are good overall but are not very efficient from a tax perspective. Yeah. So like like REITs, for example, they're they're, uh, the best example or one of the best examples for Putting them in a uh, in one of the tax deferred accounts, terrific investment. Uh, it would be one of one of the uh, better asset classes over the last decade. 
However, they're terrible from a tax perspective mm -hmm. when you have them in a taxable account. But uh, keeping them in the tax deferred account keeps keeps people uh, good from that perspective. Yeah, because they produce a lot of income along the way, and that's gonna uh, mean that you're gonna be paying um, uh, income on if they're in their tax uh, taxable accounts. Uh, so again, speaking with Pat Cote, who's uh, um, uh, the founder of Asset Grade, just give us a call. Love to answer your questions about your own uh, finances live on Tuesday and. Uh, so give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we'll talk about really anything related to your own financial uh, situations. So, so besides taxes, what are some of the you know unique challenges that these Henrys, the high earners, not yet rich, you know, uh, uh, face? Probably the number one is time. Hmm. Uh, the you know by you know if they're a high earner, odds are they're they're working pretty hard. And, you know, most of them are uh, well-educated, very smart individuals. They often understand the investments themselves. Uh, and, you know, there are actually some Wharton alumni who fall under that category. Sure. And they're uh, often just not able to, they just don't have the time to stay yeah. on top of it. Um, and as you know, investing is one of those things where it's not one and done. You have to stay on top of it, especially if you have money coming in. So for a lot of them, if they're, you know, by definition a Henry, they're going to be earning money building up more savings along the way, which is great, but it mm. just means more work to stay on top of it. Yeah, I mean, you're in the Boston area. I'm sure you have some professors and some of the other advisors I have on my network at kentonmoney.com in the Boston area as well, and they have a lot of professors, clearly very bright. Um, clients say this only, but they're not educated in this area. They really don't have the time. Uh, to, to, to really think about it. Uh, again, speak with Pat Cote. Uh, love to answer your own questions uh, related to your own personal finances here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And let me go to Phil calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Phil? Uh, my question is twofold. Uh, with our political climate we have right now, knowing that we've been doing very well on the market for years and years. I'm a high risk, very high risk in my 401k. And what should I be thinking about doing with that due to our climate that's coming up? Yeah. And what, how's your 401k invested right now, Phil? Um, I, I can't tell you exactly where it is, but I'm, I'm on the, the real high risk end of everything. And I've done very well. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a broadly diversified kind of stock fund that you're in, something like a mutual fund, or if it's through your four hundred one k, I assume it's some type of mutual fund. I'm stock, stock, stock. Stock, stock, stock. All right. So, uh, no, thanks. If what and you said yours twofold. What what was your second question? Uh, the second one is I, I I also have some money laying around, and I've uh, I've done pretty okay with. Uh, house flipping and some real estate hmm. and uh do we think that the real estate market is something we can still make money at yeah. in the upcoming climate and, and tell me a little bit more about uh, how old are you phil and, and how much money are we talking about you have toward retirement and then how much of this kind of outside money is this i mean when we talk about real estate investments for you know uh we often want to make it sure it's not too dominating your portfolio so give me some more numbers uh, I've got a half million 401k. I've got another 350 laying around. I own my home. I'm 54. All right. All right. And so the other 350 laying around, that's what you've been doing 
uh, kind of your real estate uh, investing uh, in it sounds like. Okay, and so you're age 54, and um, we could probe more things like your you know yearly income and monthly expenses and so forth. But let's let's I don't think that's quite at the gist of this question here. Uh, so uh, it's certainly you know uh, uh, Pat, what's you know in the news right now? We're even talking about potential impeachment hearings. Market has gone down, yep. uh, you know, a little bit in, in response to that. Um, market is overall though is still you know much higher than what people are expecting for five years years ago so you know should should he put everything gold in new zealand you know (laughs) property and so forth or what what were your thoughts well i I would separate it out into two things so one is you know are your investments set up correctly in the first place for your situation your preferences your needs all of that yeah and then two avoiding the avoiding market timing because yeah. market timing can be really dangerous, but we'll come back to that in a minute. In a minute. So the first question for setting setting it up right, I think you answered a lot of the key questions. So you have 500K. So you said it's all stocks. That's probably a little aggressive. Yeah. It sounds like you have a pretty high risk tolerance. So would you would you agree that you have a very high risk tolerance? Extremely high risk. <laughs> However, at mid-50s now, yep. yeah. I should, you know, am, am I still high risk? I have... I can be high risk. I still have obviously 10, 15 years left. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So, having 100% stocks in your 401k sounds pretty high risk. I mean, normally we wouldn't be recommending that at, uh, at, age, at age 54. Uh, the fact that you do have other, uh, other holdings too. So, you'd want to make sure, and we won't get into all the details, but we want to make sure you'd have your emergency fund covered and you've had other assets in there, which it sounds like you have with, a, with the 350K that you've got laying around, as you said. So, overall, you'd probably want to start dialing it back. And as we were just talking before you came on about asset location, mm-hmm. we'd probably want to start looking at putting some bonds, like shifting that mix in the 401k to have some bonds in there as well as some stocks. That 350k that's lying around, you know, real estate is also at the, you know, gone through quite a cycle, and it's at it's at quite a high part of the cycle now. But could be also t- getting towards the peak. So, you know, you'd want to be careful about continuing to just keep uh, putting that in there. So, like, like if you're thinking of throwing the 350 back into real estate. So, without getting into all the specifics, you'd probably want to start dialing that down a little bit. And so, shifting to more. Overall, uh, the general rule of thumb is the starting point is 110 minus your age in stocks for your long-term portfolio. So if you're age 54, so that would mean about uh, 56%. So you know, about just a little over half of your holdings in stocks, and so that's you're a little bit over that right now. If you're thinking about 500 plus 350, you're a little bit over half right now. So you might want to think about lowering that and bumping up the bond allocation in there. Yeah, and, and Phil, thanks so much for the call. But it's also re- very much related to um, uh, some of the previous discussion about uh, a- asset location, and, and in particular. What you can do, Phil, is that you can just uh, start to do the dialing without necessarily having the impact on uh, creating taxable capital gains events. Because what you're going to do is in your tax deferred account, you're going to start selling some of those stocks, and um, you're not going to you know have to worry about the capital gains there. And you're going to then you know uh, move that toward bonds. And in fact, if I were in that position where you have the 350 and the on the outside of the account, I actually would be moving a fair amount of that 500 
into something like a total bond fund or other things like that. Um, and that 350, I would not be putting that back in the real estate. I agree very much with Pat here. It's a very focused, non-diversified uh, investment, especially if you're doing it around Illinois. I mean, that is additional state level risk that you're having in Illinois. I mean, uh, you know, my, my joke and don't take this the wrong way, but it's, you know, only half joking is I used to call Illinois our Greece and you know California our Spain. Illinois is a pretty serious financial problems at the state level, and that can trickle down um, uh, 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 all over the state. And so in, in particular, I would really be thinking about using that 350 to go into the stock market. Of course, you have the emergency fund that should be in a very safe um, investment, something like an online uh, uh, checking account, not your regular checking account, but something uh, a little bit higher level um, earnings, um, online savings or online checking account um, gives you know, one, one and a half percent return, maybe two percent um, out of sight, out of mind. Um, but the rest of that, I would be opening up something like a Vanguard Total, uh, uh, Vanguard uh, Mutual Fund, maybe put everything into the Vanguard Total Stock Fund, uh, Stock Market Fund, and at the same time dialing back that uh, that 500000 to something like, you know, uh, maybe majority uh, uh, bonds. And that, that gives you, you know, uh, put, uh, put it all together, um, that, that gives you almost a 50-50 kind of allocation. In terms of really trying to time the market, and Pat, you know, mentioned that briefly, we really don't recommend this on the show. In particular, people who uh, evidence is overwhelming that when you try to time the market, usually underperforming and often taking an even more risk in the, in the process. And so what you, I think you really want to do is really just simply say, you know, is this appropriate? The amount of risk I'm taking is it appropriate for uh, the number of years of human capital earnings I have left. And if that is appropriate, in something like a 50 50, maybe 60 40, you know, split is, is kind of in, in the ballpark there. Um, the, the, then, you know, I, I would not be trying to figure out how to get in, get out, things like that. Just set it up right, uh, be tax efficient about it, put more of your bonds in your tax deferred account, and that 350. Uh, take maybe 50000 or whatever it's needed for like maybe six months worth of consumption and expenses. Uh, and maybe say, say that's like 50000 bucks. Take the other 300 open up a Vanguard total stock market fund and go with that. So thanks so much for calling, Phil. Really uh, I appreciate it. And then again, speaking of Pat Cote, who is the uh, uh, founder of Asset Grade in Boston, Massachusetts, started that in 2013. Team and uh, doing a great job answering your questions here. He gave us a call here at the Wharton School um, uh, Business Radio Channel here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And so, certainly, uh, Pat, you, you talked about Henry's high earners, not yet rich. We talked about some of the unique challenges, you know, taxes, time, and so forth. Maybe they understand those are the big challenges. What, what are kind of the um, big questions that they often come to your office with? A lot of times they're not coming to a financial advisor and saying, hey, can you give me more time? I mean, <laughs> what are the big questions? Are they coming in like everybody else with, do you have a life event? Do you have a kid? Do you buy a house? What, what, what motivates them? Well, often uh, the, the uh, impetus for coming to us is often a life event. So, yeah. you know, whether they're 
uh, you know, got married, had kids, inheriting money, uh, sometimes also being laid off uh, mid-career, mm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. So any of those tends to, to trigger it for most folks to be thinking about sitting down with an advisor. Uh, so, in, and in terms of the the big things that they're asking, uh, so just like the caller before uh, Phil was was asking about, like you know, a lot of folks are concerned about the market being where it is. Mind you, we've had those questions over the last few years, and you know, we keep saying, "Don't try to time the market," and obviously, it, it pays off not to do that. So, yeah. so we've encouraged folks as long as they're well set up, you know, to to, to stay the long course with the um, with, with investing. So, so that th- those are probably the two biggest questions right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, speaking with Pat Cote, give us. Go. I love to answer questions here about your own money here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I'm going to go to Ian calling from Florida. How can I help you, uh, Ian? Hey Ken. So my son, uh, he's turning fourteen next month. About a year ago, uh, we had his uh, his thirteenth birthday bar mitzvah. He yeah. Got, you know, a good sizable gift from all of his friends and family. Uh, and being that he's fourteen now, he's got about four more years before he's out of the house, hopefully in college. Wanted to see what could I do for him to be as aggressive as possible to get, you know, that four to $5,000 growing as, as much as possible so that way when he's out of the house in four years for college, you know, he's got a good chunk of uh, return on that, uh, you know, four to $5,000, you know, um, investment that he started with. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, I love those questions. And so, Pat, I mean, it, it, trying to pass, you know, knowledge about personal finance to your kids mm-hmm. and the next generation, um, let's put, a, put it aside that, you know, uh, the fact that the money's in his account may hurt him when it comes to financial aid sure. applications is over. Because, sure. you know, I'll tell you right now, Ian, the real thing he should be doing is giving that money to your grant, his grandparents <laughs> <laughs> so it gets it off his books and the grandparent assets won't, you know, count for financial aid. But nonetheless, putting that aside, your, your question is a, a a great one and, and a much broader one. And I've heard, you know, different philosophies about this. Some say, hey, he should just put it into, you know, low-cost passive index Vanguard account, you know, set it and never look at it again until maybe five years from now or when he's out, in this case, maybe nine, ten years from now when he's out of college. And But other people say, you know, I'm fine letting, you know, maybe he, he puts some of his money that way, but maybe we let him, you know, play the market with the rest, and it's not it's not like he's risking a ton of money. It's some education involved and seeing you really can't beat the market and things like that. But I'm sure this comes up a, a bit in your practice. Your thoughts? It does. And so absolutely. Like I think one of the uh, – so – both funding college as well as educating the yeah. kids. Both of those questions come up. So just to confirm, Ian, so did you want to actually use like have those proceeds fund college, or is that for beyond college for for him? Yeah, I mean, really, really, it's more. I really want to use it more of a learning experience for okay. him. His college is paid for. We already have uh, significant investments for him during college. So, like, being that this is his, his money, I wanted to you know kind of put it in his court so he can learn. Okay, how do I? Manage this money. How can I make it grow? How can I maybe be a little risky, but also maybe lose it? So really, more of a learning experience for him over the next four years. That way, mm. when he's out of the house and he has to now make these decisions on on his own about what should I be spending money on? What's the need versus a want? How do I start preparing myself for the future from a uh, you know a savings perspective? That mindset. That's kind of really where I'm I'm looking for. This is really not for long term, you know, uh, you know, growth for him. That he's going to need it because he's pretty much already. For, for college, so mm. it's more just, you know, how can I make this 
you know, be aggressive, but at the same time, he can learn a lot from kind of the ups and downs of the market and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, especially if the funding is already there, so you're less concerned about the the you know the the who's holding it and, and so on. So, I, I think in that kind of situation, opening up the brokerage account and being thoughtful about how the money's allocated there. So, you know, obviously for somebody at that age of his long term money, they can afford to be you know heavily in stocks. You're less worried about you know the uh, the debt market downturns and so on. It's more of the learning experience. Taking a little chunk, and this is what what I've done with my own kids, and 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 I would suggest it with clients as well, is have them actually start playing a little bit themselves. And so they see both. They see how it works when they're well diversified. You know, in one of those, uh, one of the index products. And there's, as, as Kent was saying, you can get some like the, the Vanguard Total uh, uh, Total Stock Market. That one is a good one. Uh, something like that. And then you also, you know, let them play a little bit. You know, odds are he's heard of some companies and, you know, he might want to play a little bit there. You know, generally, yeah, you know. He's familiar, yeah, he's familiar with, like, you know, all the brands that he likes. I mean, he's into Nike and, you know, he has Apple products. So I, my thought was, okay, take half of it, put it into, like, an index fund. The other half, he can, like, play around buying individual stocks. Yeah. Just to start tracking the performance of those and just understanding how the market runs and everything. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's good. I I, I might not go fifty fifty. I might keep it like seventy percent in the index, just because you know he might he might see some some wild swings in there for the for the part that he's invested. But if if you're okay and he's okay with the 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 risk of that, that's fine. Because you know there's the good chance he's going to underperform the index, but that will be the learning experience too. Yeah, and it, 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 at this amount that we're talking about, especially as college is paid for and he's in a good path, it, it sounds like. And the fact that you're even asking this question is to tell tells me that you've infused him with a lot of education and human capital along the way and so forth. He's probably looking good in, in the long run. You know, whether it's 50%, 30%, you know, I love the idea, Ian, of basically saying, you know, at least half of it, you have to put it into something like a total market, a low-cost passive index fund. Um, and, you know, you could even open up a count Schwab Fidelity and so forth. You can even get, you know, that's the lost leaders for these guys now just to get you in the door. So you can even get the S&P 500 at basically zero cost now uh, on these platforms. And the the other 50%, yeah, you can invest it into whatever whatever you want. Um, you just can't go more um, than that, that at that amount. And like you said, what he's going to do, he's going to invest it in names that he knows. Um, this is in uh, what John Maynard Keynes used to call the beauty contest where stocks have you know that are in the news that people uh, interact with their, their products a lot often win the beauty contest in, in terms of demand for for stocks and his point was that those stocks often underperform uh, simply because too many people are racing to those stocks it actually turns out it's un- unclear if that's empirically true or not but nonetheless um, I think that will be a really great lesson because you're gonna if he's a little bit younger you could be investing in Disney now he's probably Nike and armor all and so forth <laughs> um, but nonetheless I think uh, it's it's a great lesson that's 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 what I would do with that so thanks so much Colin Ian uh, good luck with that and I again think these are great questions uh, really how to train the next generation because it's 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 way more important for the long run rather than just the exact money that we're talking about uh, right here so again speaking with Pat Cote he's the uh, uh, founder of asset grade in the Boston uh, uh, Massachusetts area Area. He started that in 2013, and like all our advisors on the show, fee only. You've got a question. Now is the time to call. Give me a call. We'll talk about your own financial situation, what to do with your money here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. 
So we've been talking a little bit about these Henrys, these higher income, not yet rich type um, uh, uh, folks. Uh, So we talked about some of the challenges that they have and some of the questions that they have. Uh, What are some of the mistakes that they make? So probably a couple. Uh, The, you know, one is uh, trying to be perfect with with investing. Mm. And so you know, they'll tend to hold off on actually jumping in. So especially in a situation where they're making more than they spend, which is a good problem to have, uh, and they're at that stage where or they have the potential to be saving and investing quite a bit, they just don't have time to get out in front of it. So, and they and they also, uh, you know, they want to make sure that it's actually a really nice setup, like yeah. that they're doing it properly, you know, like everything else, they're, you know, they're doing a great job in their, their own careers. And sure. they, they want to make sure they do a great job on the investment side. So this is where uh, the perfection is the enemy of the good here. Yeah. So and they're millennials; they need to understand the motivation. For, you know, just why am I making this decision? Yeah, that's a lot right. of Gen Xers in there too. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. right. Um, so yeah, so that's I think that's that's one of the one of the big challenges that they that they face. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it certainly uh, having the perfect be the enemy of the good is is important. And we often talk about you know asset allocation as though these are really kind of precise rules, and they absolutely you know are are not. You know, as I often tell people, getting your asset allocation a little off, that's not the costly mistake. The costly mistake is not saving enough for those goals. The other is is actually sitting on cash too. So yeah. and you do sometimes see situations where it's been it's years, you know, for whatever reason there's some liquidity event, whether it's from, you know, company stock that you know they're at a company that got acquired or there was an inheritance. Again, if they don't have time to dive into it, they might literally be sitting on a very large percentage of cash in their portfolio for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to someone earlier today. If you look at during the financial crisis, and obviously Schwab is doing great now, but during the financial crisis, uh, two things were happening. One is, on one hand, account openings at Schwab increased dramatically because a lot of so many people are saying I have to take this into my own hands and mm-hmm. so forth. You know, they're they're the ones who aren't dealing with fee-only advisors like you, but with the broker dealers, and they felt you know very uh, screwed over by it. But Schwab's share price was also plummeting at the same time. So, you know, how do you reconcile the two? And yeah, sure, you might say, well, you know, they they get some money on mutual funds on, on their platform for the act funds are are not an ETF form and so forth. But what was really happening is that is that so much money on these platforms, Swap Fidelity and so forth, just sit in the sweep account because people yeah. just don't know what to do with the money and that inaction. So what happens, they get very low interest rate on yes. that. And then Schwab and Fidelity and, and Scott Trade and everybody else, you know, they lend out that money at a much higher interest rate, but interest rates were falling too. And that's essentially that's how a lot of these platforms, they weren't really making money on the trading fees. They were really making money on people's inaction. That's absolutely true. And that's a very hot topic for us this year. So a couple of years ago when, when uh, the short-term rates were near zero, at that point, it really didn't matter what you were in because everything yeah. paid zero or just slightly above zero. Now it actually does matter, and that actually came up earlier today on campus uh, mm. that a lot of these students were asking about that, uh, about you know what to do with if you, if you're sitting on cash like that. And there there are higher yielding cash accounts now, so it's definitely worth looking around for it. Uh, you know, it should be in the two, maybe a little bit higher, two two and a half percent range. And would you recommend people looking for that? So you can look at some of the online banks, even some of, you know, it is a pain to switch banks. 
Yeah. Uh, and so to some degree, this is a, there's a bit of an advantage to doing something like this if it's separate from your, your day-to-day bank right yeah. now. Because especially if it's going to be an emergency fund or if it's you know slightly longer-term money, you know just having it out of your regular pool is not a bad thing to begin with. Yeah. So if you do a search to some of them, uh, you know Ally and some of the others, I mean there there are plenty of, of like online banks that that offer uh, some uh, some uh, promotions like that, and and also trying to see whether it's a longer like it is going to change or whether it's just a teaser. Yeah, that's what it's going to ask. I mean that's what the the fear that some people have is. You know, it's just a teaser, right? Get me in. They know it's a pain in the butt to switch, and so therefore, that will just kind of lock me in with this That's teaser. A, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's it's good to check that out. I mean, but I, you were touching on another point, which I fully agree with. I think it's really important is that we don't want our emergency account and our checking account. We don't want that temptation. We actually do want some friction. It does take a few days to do that transfer because if it's a true emergency, you typically don't need that money in 24 hours. You know, that might be the shoes that you want. Uh, but it's not it's not the emergency typically you know um, taking a couple of days for doing the, the transfer it's, it's not bad standing the gears to kind of slow you down uh, and again speaking with Pat Cote if you got a question you'd love to answer it here at one eight four four worked and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six and we'll talk about uh, it basically your money and we talked a little bit earlier uh, Pat uh, um, especially in the Boston area very educated and my uh, second only to Washington DC in terms of the number of PhDs and so forth I mean you probably meet a lot of people who just feel like you know I got a PhD and whatever <laughs> and they feel a little embarrassed even talking about kind of finances and so forth and the fact that they don't know a lot about this stuff but you you don't we don't teach that, you know. We don't even teach personal finance here at the Wharton School. So, I mean, how do you broach that with people? It's absolutely right. And so that's one of the biggest things we, we, we come across. So, and it's whether it's, and that's what I was just talking about today with the Wharton MBAs or with a lot of other professions too, like attorneys and physicians, we see the same thing where, you know, people are kind of embarrassed because they didn't do things perfectly from the from an investing perspective sure. and, and definitely with PhDs as well. And they should not be, you know, they should not feel embarrassed about it because very few people have done everything correctly. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot involved with it. It takes a lot of time and you have to, frankly, you have to really enjoy it and want to stay on top of it yeah. just because of the, the long-term commitment for it. So people shouldn't feel embarrassed about that. Yeah. And I think that would help them get over having the conversations and getting down the right path to kind of getting where they where they need to be and also how do you uh, it's something that advisors didn't really have to worry about you would you know just do a social security benefits calculation you do a tax calculation those things aren't set in stone so much anymore i mean we're having very large um, deficits right now um we have um uh, Social Security itself—it's well known. It's you know it's underfunded. You know how are you incorporating fiscal policy into the advice that you give? Well, one of the biggest things is tax diversification, uh, because just because tax rates are very low by historical standards yeah. right now, and so we encourage our clients to take advantage of that to to the highest degree possible. One of the things we would often see when folks come in is that they will have most of their assets in tax-deferred vehicles, so like a 401k or a rollover IRA, which is great at the time uh, by you know not paying taxes, which I always feels good. However, it does create a lot of risk, especially if tax rates end up being a lot higher in the future. And you know, there's a very reasonable chance that they will be higher, irrespective of the of, of where you are politically. Yeah, yeah. Just with to cover the the deficits and the the growing debt and so on. So. Yeah. 
uh, and then the ongoing commitments that we have with Social Security and Medicare. So there's a very high possibility of much higher tax rates. And so because of that, if people are exposed, if they have all of their assets or most of their assets in a tax-deferred vehicle, when they need to take it out in retirement, they could be looking at a pretty shocking tax bill if the tax rates are 50% plus at that point. And who knows? We've definitely had higher rates than that in the past. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is encourage tax diversification. So obviously with the, the, the one of the buckets would be tax deferred, but then the taxable brokerage account. So after taxes, we were just talking about earlier. And then the third bucket is Roths. Yeah. And so often for Henry's, they make too much because of the income limits. They make too much to get it into Roths. So uh, when possible, uh, looking at opportunities to get it into the Roth IRAs too, yeah. or even a Roth 401k if that's an option at work. Yeah. And in some cases, it, you know, you can mention somebody who's higher income, but maybe has a gap year. They're going back to school or exactly. something like that. And that's potentially when you can start to do some conversions. That's exactly yeah. it. So we yeah. were talking. There's a lot of interest, as you can imagine, on yeah. campus for the MBA students right now because sure. they're at a low-income year for them. So yeah. it's a great opportunity. So the mechanics you know, aren't obvious because ha- they, if they have an old 401k, they have to roll it over to an That's IRA, right. and yeah. then they convert to a Roth. But it's it's definitely worth going through that that administrative uh, hurdle. So. Oh, yeah, because you know, a lot of the MBA students here, they do actually have decent assets because they were working before they came here. Yep. And you know, while you have this low income, enjoy you know, the advantages of converting that you pay taxes today, but you're paying it at a much lower uh, rates. When it comes to things like Social Security, Medicare, and so forth, I mean, the, the usual idea is, hey, we just do a benefit, you know, a lot of software itself, you know, they'll try to figure, do a little approximation of what your Social Security benefit is, or you can even go online to try to get, you know, an estimate of that. But again, that's assuming payable or scheduled, I should say, scheduled benefits and not actual payable benefits. In particular, payable benefits is if they actually have the money. Scheduled benefits <laughs> yep. is what the law actually says. And almost all the calculations are tied on scheduled benefits, not payable benefits. So in particular, uh, do you guys, if someone is in their 30s or 40s, are you kind of haircutting some of that? Or are you doing some or, or are you just, just taking that as given? We are taking that as given. It, you know, and part of it is, frankly, when they're in their 30s uh, earlier on, a lot of the time they're just saving what they can anyway. Yeah. So they're kind of maxing out what they can save because the 30s are often tough from a financial perspective. You yeah. know, they have not yet at peak earning, but they're certainly at peak expenses because all of a sudden, you know, they're buying homes, having kids, getting married. So all those things kind of add up on the expense side. Yeah. So they're yeah. often under where they should be, even if you're trying to max out as much as you can. So. Yeah, it, the 30s are interesting, you know, age. It seems so long ago, but no, I mean, it's 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 definitely <laughs> it, it, true. Like you, you said, there's kind of this imbalance between kind of inflow and outflow. And I imagine that you have to also worry a lot about, you know, the, the non-W2 type um, compensation, things like, you know, stock options, things like that. Um, it, kind of, what's your kind of rules if, you know, I heard different, you know, different advisors do different things. If it's a publicly traded company, they'll try to value stock options at, you know, Black Shoals or something like that. If it's private, they put a pretty heavy discount on it. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you approach it? So, yeah, so I think th- those are those are uh, fair techniques. I mean, I mean, basically, if they're private, we do put a heavy haircut on it, yeah. and it's kind of case by case going through it, but definitely not just taking it at, at the stated value. And because, you know, especially given where we are with the market right now, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've had a terrific run for it, and, and you'll see a lot of, you know, actually, what you're starting to see right now and what's going on with WeWork is a good example oh, yeah. of, of the kind of the disconnect. So some of these companies that might have been looking at really high valuations before, 
all of a sudden could face a lot of pressure to be coming in and lower lower those valuations. So yeah. it's a good reminder of that. Yeah. In fact, I, I read in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, if, if we were, if the IP, uh, IPO valuation comes in be, below $25 billion, and SoftBank actually takes a, a discount on they, uh, their last infusion was at $25 billion, so they're going to actually have to downmark some of their investments there. Uh, so finally, Patrick, you know, for if folks in kind of this Henry group or just in general, I mean, if you had to give them one or two pieces of advice right now, this is this is the big takeaway. What, what would that be? So a uh, big takeaway, it, it, don't feel embarrassed, for yeah. one thing. Get, just get going with it. Uh, you know, if you're not sure, find an advisor to go through it. Don't be, you know, don't feel that, oh, you know, I'm a physician or I'm whoever and I should have had all these things done yeah. perfectly before. Uh, you're And just get going with it. Yeah. yeah I mean, just... Like you said, you know, it's it's not something you want to keep on putting off uh, till uh, tomorrow. You just want to get take action now. So Patrick, fantastic job! Thanks so much for coming back on the show. And you can find out more about Patrick by going to the website assetgrade.com. Again, assetgrade.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Oh,